Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Are Catholics Christians too? Look, I, I know to some of you, this may sound like a silly question, but I think it needs to be addressed because there is a kind of common thought in the evangelical church, especially here in America, that anyone practicing a Catholic doctrine of faith needs to be saved. They need to be brought under the wing of Protestantism, uh, under evangelicalism, and haven't fully received Christ because the things that they're practicing are outright, downright sinful. And so, first and foremost, my immediate and, I'll admit, somewhat sassy response to this question is, well, are Christians Christians? Because a lot of people will say that they are Christian or say that they were raised Christian or whatever, say that they're Christian maybe nominally but not in practice. And to that end, I would argue, okay, well, then you're probably not actually Christian because what does it mean to be Christian? It means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ right? Christian just means little Christ. We see that term first appearing in the book of Acts, and it was a term of mockery. Because you got to remember that 2,000 years ago, Christians were persecuted. Christians were made fun of. And so Christian, the term, means little Christ, but it's a mockery term that means, oh, what? Do you want to be crucified next? Do you want to hang on a cross next? And of course, those of us that are Christians soberingly say, If that's what I'm called to, yes. Right? Or maybe not, yes, I want to. But if that's what I'm called to, I'll do it because I do want to be a little Christ in a biblical, positive, non-mockery way. But look, so many people that call themselves Christians aren't that. Right? So many people that call themselves Christians, it's just a cultural term. And the more proper term some throw around is atheist Christian sympathizer or agnostic Christian philosophizer or whatever you have. And so my first rebuttal is I want to point out that a lot of people that say they're Christians don't have a relationship with Jesus. And that being said, though, a lot of people that are Catholic do have a relationship with Jesus. And so fundamentally, let's get the gospel truth out of the way first, which is that it's the grace of the cross of the death of Jesus Christ that covers our sins and the power of the resurrection that allows any of us to be saved, to be Christians. And even if we assume that those that practice a Catholic faith are sinning in some way, which we'll get to that here in a second. Oh, Christian, don't you sin too? I do. Like, like becoming a Christian didn't make me perfect, right? So, but I hold the theology of justification that the grace of the cross was powerful enough to cover all my sins. And so is it possible to practice Catholicism and still receive that grace? Yes, absolutely a thousand times, yes, it is. And so if you're in one of those churches where the pastor talks bad about my brothers and sisters in Christ who practice Catholicism, number one, have some grace on the pastor. They might not be educated enough in the Bible or in the Catholic doctrines to really understand that none of the Catholic doctrines, as historically and properly put, take away or add anything to the cross and the grace of Jesus Christ, and that it's perfectly, completely possible for... for, (laughs) Sorry, 
sorry, it's just funny to say, but it is perfectly completely possible for Catholics to be saved as well. And, and I laugh at that because the evangelical Protestant faith we practice in the United States is only 500 years old and was sustained throughout all of, well, really throughout history past, I think it was 10,047, don't quote me on that, when the Catholic Church split off from the Orthodox Church, but it was the Catholic Church, it's St. Augustine, it's Thomas Aquinas, the Catholic saints that carried the faith to where it is right now. So that's why I laugh at it. But let's get into it a little bit. I just mentioned the word saints, so that should be a kind of Catholic buzzword that we all should think about when we think about Catholicism, right? Because one of the defining marks of Catholicism is the praying to the saints and the praying to Mary, as well as the sort of New Age Catholic doctrine of Mary being born without sin. I say New Age because that wasn't always held by the Catholic Church. And so right away, there's kind of two different camps we need to set ourselves up into when we think about the Catholic doctrine. There's the traditional Catholic doctrine, and oh, hold on, let's pause. The word Catholic comes from the Greek word that means universal. So the Catholic Church is meant to be the universal church. The church that Jesus would build and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And the word Protestant comes from the word protest. So protestant is actually what those of us that are Protestants are. And fair enough, because Martin Luther nailing his 99 theses on the uh, church door in Wittgenberg, Germany, was seen as a protest by the church leaders. So fair enough that they just call us the protesters. But that's not what we're here to discuss anyway. It is important to keep in mind that, like Protestantism, has many different denominations, and some people believe biblical truth more conservatively, and some people believe biblical truth more liberally, some people believe it more literally, some people believe it more... Uh, metaphorically or figuratively, that spectrum of belief and interpretation is present inside the Catholic religion as well. And so you have on one end Catholics who have little statues of saints all over their house and candles and little trinkets and these things that almost set up as pseudo-idols or good luck charms or what have you. And then you have the other side of those that practice the Catholic faith that see the praying to saints, which is the proper Catholic doctrine of what I'm about to espouse, as co-intercessors. Much like when you go ask another Christian at church, hey, brother, I don't know that anyone actually says that, right? But, um, you know, hey, friend, would you pray for me on this? The traditional Catholic doctrine holds praying to the saints and saints being just those saved people, right? Because the New Testament says that we are a, a royal priesthood, that we are all saints uh, because of the justification of the death and resurrection of Christ. So the saints then that are recognized by the church are just those people that the Catholic Church recognizes as saved in Christ, which fair enough because it's hard to say anyone's truly saved, right? I think about like a celebrity, right? Like Kanye West. And he comes out and he has this Christian album and he says he's a Christian. And it's like, then people ask you, well, do you think Kanye West is a Christian or not? Right. And I'm just picking on Kanye. I don't know. I love his music. He's one of my favorite rappers ever. But it's like, I don't know. I'm not God. I'm not the judge. Like, who am I to say whether Kanye West is saved or not? And so then let's make this scale really, really big. And you're the church, the universal church. And, and you get this question, who of your members is saved. It's like, well, I don't know. I can't say that about anyone. But you know, there's a few people that 
given what we know about the Bible, given what we know about fruit and a tree with actual roots, with actual faith, will bear much fruit. I think I can pretty confidently say Paul the Apostle was a saint. Let's call him St. Paul or Peter. Let's call him St. Peter, right? Because, oh yeah, Jesus said he would build the church on Peter, the little rock, right? Which is another kind of debate between Protestantism and Catholicism. Uh, Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, you know, what, what, what do men say about me? He's like, well, some think you're Jeremiah. Some think you're John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. Some think you're one of the prophets. And Jesus says, what do you say? And Peter says, you are the Christ, son of the living God, right? You are, you are Messiah, the prophesied one, son of the living God. And Jesus is like, right on, bro. Like, like, well done. He's still calling him Simon. And then he calls him Peter, which means little pebble or little rock. And he says, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the Protestant evangelical world is like, well, Peter's not actually the rock. It's the statement that Jesus is the Messiah, son of the living God. That's the rock. That's the foundation that the church is built on. And yes, that is correct. But then the Catholic church is like, well, Peter's name means rock. And so Jesus is saying, Peter is the first leader of the church. We're going to call him the first pope because the pope is just the leader of the church. And it's like, yes, that's also correct. Because he is. Read the book of Acts. He's the one that starts the church in Jerusalem. He's the one that gets up and speaks on Pentecost. He is the first pope. He is the leader of the church. It doesn't negate the fact that the, the, the rock of the statement of Jesus' lordship still is the cornerstone of the church. They're both true at the same time. Can we stop arguing about this? Jeez. You can tell I have been a part of one of those churches that belittles uh, my Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ. And also, like, can we not forget that there's also Orthodox churches out there <laughs> that practice things that Catholics don't practice, that Protestants don't practice, that have traditions that go back even older than the year 1000, which again, I think the split was like 1047, something like that. It was around that time frame where the Catholic church split off from the Orthodox church and said, <laughs> ironically enough, your traditions are are too outdated and, and the church should be for everyone. It should be universal. And then, and then of course, 500 years later, Martin Luther says, well, the, the text of the scripture should be for everyone, should be universal and translates it into the Vulgate Latin. And it's just funny how this happens. But at the same time, it's also kind of beautiful how the church transforms. And yeah, the church is flawed and the Catholic church has done a lot of bad things. And the Protestant church has and is continuing to do a lot of bad things. And sure, the Orthodox church does a lot of bad things as well because bad people run these things. And sure, maybe some Catholics pray to Peter or St. Paul or St. John or Mary in hopes that praying to these saints will grant them salvation. But hey, some Christians show up to church on every Sunday, live life however they want the rest of the week, live with their boyfriend or girlfriend, and they think that showing up to church is going to save them. Tell me how that's different. See, I, anyway, back to Catholic doctrine. And, oh man, I, I got to touch on this. I know this episode is only meant to be 20 minutes long, and I have a lot of ground to cover still. But when you go into a Catholic church, you see something very striking that you don't see in Protestant churches, and that is a crucifix. Not a cross, a crucifix. You see, when you go into a Protestant church, you see a cross with nobody on it, and it's the symbol of Christianity. But you go into a Catholic church and you see a crucifix, which is a cross with a depiction of Jesus hanging on the cross. And I always hear this preached that 
Protestants and Orthodox. So this is actually where Protestants and, and Orthodox Christian believers um, align is that the cross doesn't have Jesus on it because of the resurrection. And so there's a forward looking towards hope, the hope of, of the resurrection, the, the, the real, the physical bodily resurrection that they want present in what's not on the cross. And that's really powerful and really cool. But what's also really powerful and really cool is seeing a depiction of Jesus on that cross. Now, the Catholic Church still preaches the resurrection. They still preach Easter Sunday with a little bit of a different spin because Easter Sunday and everything leading up to it is a bit more somber in the Catholic Church. And it's a bit more about repentance. It's a bit more about change. Whereas the Orthodox Church is a bit more about tradition, is a bit more about honor and glory and recognition of the resurrection. And then the Protestant church is a bit more about the celebration of the hopefulness of the resurrection that we will to rise. And guess what? All three points are valid. They really are. If, if done with a, a proper, upright, worshipful heart towards God. But why I like the crucifix maybe a little bit better than the cross that's empty. And, and really, I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. I'm just saying I think I like the crucifix better is because it depicts suffering. And don't overlook that. It depicts the suffering of Christ. And it's a very visual, sobering reminder that we are called to pick up a cross. And the Catholic Church is very good about this, actually. It's, it's kind of the old um, Catholic guilt uh, idiom or phrase that I guess has been thrown around now for <laughs> decades and decades and decades, especially here in our culture. But it's this... It's this idea of a life lived carrying a cross, a life lived not shirking the suffering, but embracing it if you have to. And that's why St. Francis was a Catholic, and that's why Mother Teresa was a Catholic, and that's why we see these extremes of these wonderful, wonderful human beings, and they're a part of the Catholic Church. is because they got it. They took the crucifix off the wall and put it in their hearts. Doesn't mean they didn't believe Jesus got off the cross and rose from the grave. Obviously, they believed that. They believed on the Bible. But I think there's something powerful that happens if that image of the crucifix, if that image of what St. Paul said, we preach Christ crucified, if that lives in your mind and your heart. I think there's something powerful it does to you. And I, I don't know, this isn't based in data or this isn't based in any kind of fact I can point to, but... It's something like that, and I admire that about the Catholic Church and their depiction. But with that, let's talk about salvation, because there's also a difference in doctrine there, where the Protestant Church separates justification and sanctification out into two different kind of categories, where justification happens when you accept Christ, and sanctification is that process of you looking like Christ more and more and more as you walk through life. The Catholic Church doesn't. It's justification, and it's the same process for your entire life. And so therefore, doing the good deeds is a part of justification working itself out and you working through the justification in your life. Now, among Catholics, admittedly, this does get skewed often. And I truly believe this is why, just a few hundred years ago, the Catholic Church instituted the doctrine of purgatory, which, let's introduce another difference now between Catholics and Protestants, and Orthodox, because both Orthodox Christians and Protestant Christians do not believe in purgatory at all. And why is that? Well, because it's not in the Bible. 
it is something that the Pope, and I forget the year and I forget the Pope's name, but you can go look it up, but a Pope instituted the doctrine of purgatory. Though it was unbiblical, he believed, as Catholic doctrine holds, that the authority of the church holds just as much revelatory power as the authority of Scripture holds, which, again, another difference between Catholics and Protestants. And this is sometimes a strength and sometimes a weakness with the Catholic Church. In this case of purgatory, I see no logic, I see no biblical justification for purgatory being a real thing at all. I'm open to being proven wrong, but I see no logic behind it. And after all, you were listening to the Christian skeptic, and we apply logic to everything. Now, just because I believe a place exists and doesn't exist doesn't necessarily mean I lose God's grace or God's favor or that I don't believe on Jesus and heaven. But it's how I treat that doctrine. If I'm counting on purgatory and on paying penance for my sin in purgatory for my salvation, then maybe I never had salvation. If I'm counting on the blood of Christ to cover my sins and the resurrection to give me the power to rise, then I have it. And whether or not I believe in a physical location called purgatory doesn't actually take that away. Now, if I start preaching that you can go to purgatory and then you don't need to trust on the death and resurrection of Christ for your salvation, then maybe I really do believe that purgatory is another means of salvation and maybe I don't have it. I don't know. It gets wishy-washy. And again, I'm not the judge. And, and honestly, like I'll be real with you guys. I'm still working through this one myself because, man, we're talking thousands of years of doctrine when we consider the New Testament since it was written, since the book of Acts, when James got up in, in Acts 15 and was ciphering through the words of Jesus and the, the words written in the law and the prophets and came to the conclusion because the Pharisees were saying, well, yeah, you can believe in Jesus, but you got to be circumcised. And James stands up and says, no, the grace of Christ is sufficient for salvation. And so ever since James did that in Acts 15, we've been working through on, okay, what does that actually mean? Yeah, the grace of Christ is sufficient. So let me go have premarital sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Hey, yeah, no, you probably shouldn't do that because do you actually believe on the grace of Christ if you're just going to throw it away like that? <laughs> but at the same time, you're a sinner, like there's grace. And so all that to say, I'm working through this myself as I talk through it with you guys. But if your Catholic doctrine leads you to believe that salvation comes by any other means besides the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'll do some digging on it. I don't know. Logically, I think you're wrong. Logically, I think it's a lot less work than a lot of practicing Catholics believe. And I say a lot of, and, and, and not, not most, and definitely not all, probably not even half when we consider the time the Catholic Church has existed and the doctrine it's upheld. But yeah, I, I don't know. There's there's a lot more differences between the Protestant and Catholic Church, and and analyzing all of them and breaking them down isn't necessarily what this episode's about. If if you guys do want to continue this conversation, and maybe we can get into like a specific subject where the Protestant and the Catholic Church disagree on something and break down what's the actual logic, what does the Scripture say, what does history say, uh, write in. Let me know. Let's um let's think through this together. I I don't think we can make the statement. That if someone prays to saints or Mary, and if someone has little statues of saints or, or religious candles around their home, I don't think we can make, oh man, I almost know we can't make the statement that God would condemn them to hell forever. 
Because in, in some ways, too, we have to think back to the Church of Jerusalem and how many rituals they had. I mean, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. <laughs> like, like Jesus held to Jewish rituals. Messianic Jews, which are Jewish people that have been converted to Christianity, still practice circumcision. Some Presbyterian Protestant churches practice infant baptism, not as a means of salvation. And, and again, not every Catholic practices infant baptism as a means to salvation, but rather as a, an image, just like circumcision is, that says this child is born in a household of faith. Right? That's when you look at the Presbyterian doctrine, they practice infant baptism, not on a mandatory level, but on an optional level. If a family wants to say this child is set apart for the Lord, it's a form of what some churches do called baby dedication. And so it's like, is that always wrong? Well, no. <laughs> and ironically enough, I reference the Peter, you are Peter, on this rock I will build this church passage because that's what this whole Christian thing ultimately comes down to. Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, is Jesus the Messiah, Son of the living God? Is Jesus Lord? Did he die on a cross, pay for the sins of the world, and raise from the grave three days later? If your answer is yes, and I know him and walk with him and have a deep, intimate relationship with him, it doesn't matter if you are practice Orthodox Christianity, Catholicism, or Protestantism. And I know there's several other little sects of Christianity. And no, Mormonism's not one of them. Maybe I can do an episode on that, but Mormons are not Christians, so let's let's get that out of the way. But inserting rituals into Christianity doesn't ruin it unless you look to the rituals for salvation, which is something only Christ, the Christ we seek to imitate, something only he can do. But yeah, that's <laughs> those are my thoughts on the subject, so let me know what you think. Please continue to like, subscribe, support, share the show. And as always... Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show. 